Christians have always observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection, and so it became a custom of the church to prepare for Easter by a season of penitence and fasting and prayer, which has become known as the Lenten season. It's a season of 40 days, not including the Sundays, and it originally provided a time in which converts to the Christian faith were prepared for baptism. It also was the time in the life of the church when those individuals who had committed serious sins and had been separated from the community of faith were reconciled by penitence and by forgiveness and restored to the fellowship of the church. So during the Lenten season, all of us are reminded of the mercy and the forgiveness proclaimed in the good news of Jesus Christ and the need that we all have to renew our baptismal faith. We began the Lenten season this past Wednesday during our, our Ash Wednesday service. And so once again, I want to remind you in the name of our Lord to invite you to observe a Holy Lent by self-examination, by repentance, by prayer, by fasting, and by reading and meditating on God's Word. So unto that end, this morning, let me invite you to keep your Bibles open and join with me as we look again at one of the Psalms. We're looking at our Psalms this year. You'll be reminded that there are 150 of them. They are divided into five sections that, that more than likely replicate and reflect the five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in Psalm 27 this morning, we have a psalm that actually is a combination of two types of psalms. Verses 1 through 6 is a psalm of thanksgiving to God. And then verses 7 through 14 represent a lament or a, what might be called a complaint. The psalmist is offering up some words of concern to God and asking Him to act on His behalf. But put together holistically, this psalm expresses a deep confidence and trust that in times of uncertainty, in times of lack of direction and guidance, God goes with us. So let's read the psalm. Follow along with me as we read it together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my, my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At His tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. 
Now we move into the personal lament or the complaint. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, two Saturdays ago, <clears throat> Leslie and I had several reasons to make our way to the Cary and to the Apex area of our state. Our niece is getting married in April, and so Leslie was going for a wedding shower. I wanted to visit a sick friend who lives in that area, and it's always a good time to check on parents in the Raleigh area. So having grown up in Raleigh, I had a pretty good idea of where I was going for our first destination, which was Cary. But I decided just to be safe that I would plug in the address of the destination in the car navigation system just to see how it would recommend that I go. You wouldn't believe where the navigation system was going to take me. Now, you're fairly familiar, I trust, with how you get from Greenville to Raleigh and then on to Cary. You would think the navigation system would say, take 264 to Wilson and then to Zebulon and then get on the ramp and on to 64 and 264 and go into Raleigh and then go around the north side of Raleigh on I-440 or either the south side of Raleigh, I-440, hit number one and 64, and you're there at Cary. You with me? Is that how you'd go? The navigation system had me go or no, I didn't go, but it would have had me go down Highway 11 to Kinston. <laughs> yeah, I laughed too when I saw that. Then from Highway 11, it would take me from, from Kinston up Highway 70 to Raleigh. And as we were driving along 264, Wilson and Zebulon, the, the thing continued to recompute the directions, wanting to send me still over to Hi Highway 70 out of Kinston. And even when we got into Raleigh, it wanted to send me to Highway 70. It told me that it was going to take me three hours to get from Greenville to Cary. And you and I know that's a trip that can probably be made in about 90 minutes. I remember a few years ago, we were getting ready to go on our spirituality retreat, which we'll go on in two weeks. 
We always hold it at Caraway Conference Center in Asheboro. And I did the same experiment. I, I know how to get to Asheboro again. You know how you get to Raleigh, and then you take 64, and you go around Pittsburgh, and then you go through Siler City, and uh, you hit Asheboro, and I know how to get out to Caraway. So I plugged it in that same navigation system. You're just sitting on the edge of your seats wanting to know where it was going to take me this time, right? It wanted to take me from Greenville to Rocky Mount. Rocky Mount to Raleigh. Raleigh west on I-40 to Greensboro. And then south on 220 to Asheboro. Needless to say, I don't trust these navigation systems, do you? And I'm just glad that I know how to read a map and I have an idea of where I'm going. Sometimes our personal navigation systems fail us and let us down and malfunction also, don't they? And we don't have any idea what the next step is. And we wonder, you know, where are we to go next? As I thought about Psalm 27 this week, and I thought about the story of Abraham out of Genesis 15 that, that really begins back at Genesis 12 where God calls him out to follow him and to go to a land that he doesn't know exactly where he's going, Abraham. But God's making the promise, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. As I, as I thought about these two texts, I remembered the words of the Catholic monk Thomas Merton who lived in the Abbey of Gethsemane between Lexington and Louisville, Kentucky, actually south of those two Kentucky cities. Thomas Merton wrote these words, and I want to put them on the screen for you, out of a book entitled um, Thoughts in Solitude. And I actually have these words taped on my bookshelf above my computer screen. And the very first phrase says, My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. And about 99% of the time throughout my day, I feel that way, seems like. I have no idea where I'm going, what I should do, how I should handle whatever's before me. You, you ever feel that way sometimes? My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself, and the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I'm doing. Next one, please. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me alone, to, never leave me to face my perils alone. Can you resonate with the prayer of Thomas Merton? It would really be interesting to get us together just for a few moments if we had that time today to let you uh, congregate with three or four other people and maybe share some of those times, past and present, 
when you either have or now have no idea where you're going. It seems that life circumstances often lack clarity. It seems that often we live in gray rather than maybe pure black and white. But these two texts this morning remind us that God's a faithful God. And even in those moments when we have no idea where we're going, God does. And He promises to walk with us. If you go back to the psalm, Psalm 27, he gives great advice, the writer does, of what we need to do and what we need to think about when our personal navigation systems malfunction and we have no idea where we're going. Verse 1 tells us that the Lord is our light. The Lord is our salvation. He's the stronghold of our lives. So whom shall we be afraid? Of whom shall we fear? And then in verse 5, the psalmist tells us that in the day of trouble, God will keep us in His dwelling. He will hide us in the shadow of His tabernacle. That means we're going to be hidden in His presence as we are there dwelling in the shadow of His tabernacle. And then verse 8 invites us to seek God's faith, face. That's not a bad idea to do when you don't know where you're going. Seek God's face. And then verse 11 invites us to teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a straight path. And then the psalm ends with these beautiful words, Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. That, that's a four-letter word that should be in your vocabulary. Wait. W-A-I-T. Wait. And then in Genesis chapter 15, as I told you, the story of Abraham really begins in Genesis 12, where God invites Abraham to pack up his belongings and take his family and go to a land where he has no idea where he's going. It's interesting that God never tells Abraham where he's going. He just tells him to go. And even after Abraham arrives there and possesses that promised land, it's kind of interesting, during Abraham's lifetime, he never fully possesses that land. And then a total of 25 years passes from the time when God makes the promise that Abraham will have a son, 25 years pass before Isaac is finally born. You know, we live in a microwave, click and point with the mouse on our computer, with our computers. We live in that microwave, click and point culture and society where we expect everything to be done instantaneously, even progress in our spiritual lives. And we struggle sometimes to accept that living by faith often involves a long journey with a lot of infrequent road signs, and many times our personal navigation system fails us. But you know, Abraham is so unlike us. He didn't demand that God map out the journey before he began it. He didn't say, now God, you show me exactly where you want me to go. You show me how you want me to go. You tell me why you want me to go, and then I'll be willing to play ball with you and accommodate you, God. Hebrews chapter 11, I want to put this text on the screen. Hebrews 11.8 stands out in such stark contrast to you and me. 
because of the text, and Hebrews 11 is that great chapter of the Bible that talks about faith. And the writer says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went. And then I love that last phrase. Kind of, maybe that's where Thomas Merton got his phrase. Even though he did not know where he was going. He had no idea where he was going. And I think, thank you for putting that on the screen. And I think that's why Genesis 15, the text we read, verse 6, records for us, Abram believed the Lord. And he credited, credited it to him as righteousness. Can you trust God? Can you believe God? Can you hand God your life in those moments when you have no idea where you're going, but confident that He does? Maybe you've heard of the name William Carey. C-A-R-E-Y, not like the town I was trying to get to a couple Saturdays ago. C-A-R-Y, William Carey, C-A-R-E-Y. William Carey was a Baptist British shoemaker. In 1792, at the age of 31, he became convinced after a deep study of Matthew chapter 28, which includes what we call the Great Commission. He became convinced after studying Matthew chapter 28 that followers of Jesus were to actively and intentionally be about sharing their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. William Carey eventually took his family as missionaries to the country of India and stayed there for 41 years, never to return to England. So William Carey uh, has put Baptist on the map, uh, so to speak, because he is known as the father of the modern missionary movement. He preached a phrase, he preached a sermon in which he used a phrase that has become quite famous. The phrase goes like this, Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. You know, by faith, Abraham, the writer of Psalm 27, even someone like William Carey, Thomas Merton, and a host of other saints through the ages have expected and attempted great things for God, even though most of the time they had absolutely no idea where they were going. So what I want to ask you this morning is can you travel by faith? Can you travel by trust and be on a journey with God and not always have to know the exact destination of where you're going or even some of the stops that you might make along the way? During the Lenten season, it could be that your personal navigation system will fail you. It might just malfunction. And if it does, I don't want you to panic. I just want you to remember some beautiful words out of the psalm that we just read today. I want you to remember that the Lord is your light. That the Lord is your salvation. That the Lord is the stronghold of your life. 
And on that day of trouble, when you don't know where you're going, I want to remind you that He will keep you safe in His dwelling. I want to remind you that He will hide you in the shelter of His tabernacle. So this morning, I want to invite you to wait for the Lord to be strong and take heart. I want to remind you when your personal navigation malfunctions, I want you to wait for the Lord. Let's pray together. God, some of us have come to this place this morning and indeed we're not sure what the next step might be in whatever has come our way in the past few days or in the last week or in the recent season of our life. I pray, God, that indeed your word and your light and your salvation would shine into our hearts and our lives and give us, Lord, that sense of what the next step is. Remind us, God, not to be afraid. Remind us that you walk with us. And remind us through the example of some of the great saints of Scripture and throughout the history of your church that you are the faithful God and that we need not fear. So hear our prayer as we ask it. In Christ's name, amen.